Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Youthscape podcast. I'm Martin Saunders. With me, my absolute equal <laughs> and not sidekick, Rachel Gardner. Oh, hello. Yeah. I've okay. not let that go, you've, have you've I, from last week. In. I'm really sorry. You've, lo- you've loaded coal, burning coals on my head. That's very scriptural, so, isn't it? So in this podcast, we mm-hmm. talk about youth ministry, don't we? We do. And in this particular series, we are building up excitingly to the National Youth Ministry Weekend in Birmingham uh, from the 18th to the 20th of November. We'd love to see you all there. But in these episodes, we're meeting some of the speakers and we're talking around the theme, which is stronger. What's your, if you were to ask strength and you, Rachel, what's the, Ooh. What, would you, what, are you, what are you particularly strong at? Well, I would always go to something like relational strength or emotional oh, strength nice. because I've never ne- necessarily seen myself as physically strong, except... Uh, the young people who I work with, the other day I was wearing like a vest top and they were like, you've got massive biceps. I have two arms. One of them, my right arm, I think is the one that I pick everything up with. Ah. my kids. And I actually have, I have quite a strong right arm. Well, do I you? do. My muscle, you can't see it now. It's under layers of polyester bad fashion. We've talked. We've talked about what extras to do for the Patreon and I can think of one. There we go, the reveal of the bicep. I and mean, I can feel it now, it's quite strong. It's quite strong. Do you not think an arm wrestle though? Oh yes! Me I, versus I could, you. I could, if it's my right arm, We could I do it at the live you. podcast recording I, at the National That we're Youth not Fit. doing, oh, yeah, that we're not, not doing. I would so take you. I would. No, you wouldn't. I would. What are you Any talking about? Any other kind of physical strength thing, I wouldn't. But you I think my right, arm wrestle. I would. No, I, you yeah, I would. I would. Listeners, I would. <laughs> So watch so this space. We are so going to do a live podcast. <laughs> How about for you? When you, when you, I mean, there's a there's a patriarchy thing going on here, yeah. isn't there? Because sometimes we associate strength and different types of strength with different genders. But do you? Would you relish your relational strength, your emotional strength? General knowledge in a pub quiz, uh, particularly <gasps> like things like One Hit Wonders of the 1980s. Actually, you are very strong. Stuff like that. Friends Obscure trivia. movies from the 90s. Friends trivia. Yeah. Uh, you know, old video games. I can do all of that stuff. Mm. Not strong in some of the ways traditionally men are strong or seem to be strong, mm-hmm. but very good in a pub quiz. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I was reflecting on strength actually this morning. So this you? morning I dropped In your quiet time. In my quiet time. I dropped my little five year old off at his new school. He started a new school. And um and I and I was very overcome by emotion. I was sort of holding it together because oh. he's struggling. And last week he struggled last week. So I'm dropping him off this morning. I dropped him, I did that sneaky thing of I took him through the main office because I knew that way a teacher would take him by the hand rather than like drop him off of the mass of kids. And as I walked away, I was like, I want to cry. Why do I want to cry? And I asked myself the question, am I being strong enough for my son? And then I was like, what do I mean by that? What do I mean? Gosh, you're having an existential crisis right here on the podcast. Well, not so much a crisis. I was was just reflecting. Like, what does it mean to be emotionally strong for somebody? Yes. And and I think sometimes when when you hear people say, I want to be strong for someone, it's almost code for, I want to be non-responsive emotionally or I need to hold it together. And I thought... 
oh, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, I was. As I was driving down for this very podcast, I was reflecting for about two minutes that I got a drive through yeah, coffee. You, you, <laughs> you're not you're not a big reflector, I listen to are you? a podcast. No, I was going to say, when you reflect... About Marilyn Monroe. Very intense. <laughs> you just reflect, but really well, just for a moment or so. Deep dive. And listen to a great podcast about Marilyn Monroe. Did so you? actually, she would be one of my... Yeah, she's... Oh, oh. see if we can get her on the podcast. She yeah. sounds great. <laughs> There is a biopic coming about out about her a what, called Beyond. Sorry? A biopic. A biopic? Is that an actual word? No, biopic. Bi- it's not biopic. It's not like myopic. <laughs> now, you have a story from oh, the uh, deep recesses of your history well, of the Songwonders. Well, so- sort of. It's I funny because last, last week I was doing the whole um, talking about my... I uh, love it. Awful encounters with a, a, a Christian street drama practitioner. Can I interrupt you there? I love stories... From you that range from aged about thirteen yep. up to when you met Megan Fox in a toilet in, in oh, America. Oh yeah. Any, any, I mean, and since then, brilliant. But I just feel your your really spicy ones yeah. are, are in that kind of window. There's so an incentive you go there, there to listen to the entire archive of Youthscape <laughs> podcast to know what on earth that story is. You're not getting it today. It's a goodie. So, um, so uh, I had a really amazing mentor as a young person. So I became a Christian uh, at about fourteen. And then uh, I came to faith through the evangelistic school's work of a little trust in Kingston-upon-Thames where I lived. And there was this wonderful man called Terry, who I thought was about 50 years old, but turns out was about 10 years older than me. Um, and he was he basically gave up like so much time every single week to disciple and mentor me. Uh, and so we would sit together and look at the Bible and do those little studies, right? If you're of a certain age listening to this, please, please get in touch with us, podcast at youthscape.co.uk if you do remember these. They used to do these little um, Bible studies in sets of five, and they were in five, like they were on coloured paper. So it was just printed black on five different coloured sheets. It was like wow. a red one, a blue one, a yellow one, a green one, and a purple one or something. And they were like five studies. And um, and you work through the five colours, and basically you, they fi- you filled them out as you went, wow. and they were very like rudimentary. I mean, they were you know yeah. what three things beginning with P is Paul talking about in this passage? It wasn't yeah. like really yeah. deep. It was more comprehension really than Bible study, but it was a great introduction. The point was that this guy who was doing them with me invested every single week for years and years for for like three or four years wow. meeting every week. Now you know when I think about that, <laughs> of course. From a safeguarding perspective, it was an absolute nightmare, right? We used to travel in his car. He used to pick me up in his car from school, take me to a church um, back office yeah. in... Uh, You'd never see anybody in, in, in the next town um, that was nowhere near the school or where I lived. He would lock the door yeah. um, because you didn't want to get disturbed because that was good practice at the time. Mm-hmm. And the two of us would sit there for an hour, hour and a half... In a windowless room studying the Bible. Now, honestly, they were wonderful, spiritual, yeah. formative. And you were always safe. So this, always yeah, safe. Yeah. And he was a yeah. wonderful man. Yeah. But that's um, not practice now. But as it turns out, yeah. that's not best practice. No. And <laughs> I'm sure that's not how they do it these days, oh, even dear. in that trust. Um, and so uh, about, so this was, this was getting on for 30, this was 30 years ago. And the last time I saw this guy was at my wedding, which was mm, 20 years ago. And uh, he, he reached out to me to say that he was coming over because he now lives in Spain as a missionary. And, uh, and so last week we met up. 
And we went and we did it again. In fact, hilariously, I picked him up in my car, which felt really weird. Locked him like, in your room. <laughs> and he still looked exactly the same because it turns out he was actually only 10 years older yeah, than me. Yeah. Um, he looked like, I write about this in one of my books, but he, he looked like someone had drawn Tom Cruise from memory. So he didn't really look like Tom Cruise, but he had a sort of Tom Cruise-ish. Oh. He was a, a very, he's a good looking man. Oh. And, uh, and so Terry is his name. And so Terry and I went and had uh, a coffee for a couple of hours and we we chatted about and reminisced about sort of discipleship. And he he's he was lovely. He was in, immensely proud that the investment had, had sort of ended up with me staying the course in faith and investing myself then in youth ministry. And, and we had a really lovely conversation. But the thing that really just I couldn't let go of out of the thing was how much time he'd invest in a single person like I was annoying as a teenager. I mean, seriously, um, I'm annoying now, but I was, imagine a much worse version, right? Without any maturity or filter. Imagine that. Wow. Like actually wow. no filter. Right? <laughs> and he would, you know, week after week after week, we'd sit and we'd open the Bible together and we'd talk about life. And he was just, and by the way, you know, he's 30 years later, he's still going, yes. he's lived a great just life. How devastating he's really he faithful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it would have been devastating. But yeah. I met him and he's brilliant. He's yeah. still going, you know, he's planting yeah. churches, he's doing amazing things. Um, and I just can't, I can't let go of the, the idea of how much time was involved. Because when I think and reflect on my own practice, I think number one, you can't get kids to commit that much time. We met every single week, sometimes twice, you know, but also it's really hard for leaders to commit to that much time one-to-one and there's a pressure isn't there especially when you're managed there's a pressure that you shouldn't be investing too much time in one individual yeah but actually the two people who he mentored were myself and a guy called chuck freeland who now passes a huge oh, chuck yeah yeah yes. aberdeen vineyard yes, yes. and yes. and is involved Church in the Network. national leadership yes. of, of vineyard churches yeah. so the two of us like we ended up yes. being fruitful in ministry yes and so i, I think it's a pretty strong argument very strong argument. And you're absolutely right. I manage a few youth workers. And if they came to me and said, I just want to spend most of the week with one or two young people, I would be like, um, there's about 10,000 others I want you to go and meet. And I, we do have to be strategic and weigh up this stuff. But you're absolutely right. I wonder if sometimes we've lost the art of investing over a long time in, in the lives of a few young people. We talked last week about you standing up in the canteen. At school. At school and shouting that people's As a teenager. pets... Yeah, oh, sorry. You keep wanting to add the details, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't last week. It's like you're excusing it. <laughs> you stood up as a child and shouted, you know, your pets yeah. are going to hell. Um, yeah. Maybe it wasn't quite that. Um, did you have no one investing in you then as a, as a young person? Was there no one? And I think now this is one of the sub story challenges. So I grew up in a very loving Christian family and my parents were often leading things. I do mm. think that actually because of that, oh. I think nobody thought, Oh, let's invest in her because she's got parents that'll do it. So I think sometimes... So it's a version of the pastor's yeah, kid. Yeah, that you are actually a little bit... Because what, what leader wants to take on the pastor's kid because you'll be responsible yeah. for all their dysfunction? And you assume... I think there's lots of assumptions that are made, aren't there? I make them too. You assume, oh, that, that, that family's really going for it. Mm. Oh, I'm going to spend my limited time. Yeah. Maybe not with them, but with that young person over there. So it's, it is always worth asking. I think had someone said to me... I think I'd have been blown away if someone said... Um, do you want to meet up and mm. chat? I would, I would, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known I could have gone and asked for that. The other interesting thing for me is then when I hit sort of 18, 19, 20, left school, worked for a gap year with lots of different churches in East Sussex, sort of became a little bit of someone that would host events at, at gathered church events. And it was at a time when that you, I didn't see lots of women in leadership. So I'd have married men 
in these groups that I was part of say to me things like, I would mentor you if you were male. And Ooh. at the time, I never thought, oh, I, I just, I just, it's, oh, I was like, oh, okay, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm. I'm, re I'm really sorry. So I, so there were no women who would mentor me. Mm. There are now many and many incredible women and I seek out girls to mentor. But at the time, I just, well, I had no one I could ask. So it's interesting, isn't it? Those different barriers to receiving. There's going to be a very clear thread through this episode. Um, and we're going to get to our interview in a second. Um, I know that I haven't done this for others. So I have done one-to-one -one stuff, but never this level of consistency and intensity. And I, and I don't, I'm not trying to excuse myself here, but I don't think I have the skill set or the character type, you know, the personality type to do that. Whereas, you know, this guy, Terry, he was able to meet with the same annoying kid week after week after week, see almost no progress for months and years at a time, you know, seeing me slip up, be an idiot in various ways, wow. but he still went. Whereas I, you know, now I, 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 as I reflect on that, I think maybe I should get better at this, frankly. Wow. But um, but I also think there are those people who are really gifted. Really good at it, yes. They're good I at agree. listening. I agree. They're good at consistency. They really care about deep relationship. Particularly, you know, as extroverts, we struggle with deep yes. relationship, yes. don't we? We much yeah. prefer a thousand relationships yes. that are shallow and inconsequential <laughs> than one that matters. Let's let's be honest. Yeah. That's yeah. how we work. Yeah. So I don't think I'm not giving us an easy no, get off no, here, no. but I'm saying there are people who are particularly gifted at this. And maybe in all of our youth ministries, we're really looking out for those, the person who would be a great mentor and, and finding ways to release. Mm. What would it look like? Did as you, you would ask say, Terry? To do that? Did you ask Terry? Did you say to him, how did you keep going? With well, me. he claimed I wasn't annoying, but I know I was. But it was interesting because he told me some things about himself, nothing re revelatory, but like he he clearly kept a, he was brilliant at boundaries. So I knew no, n no nothing, kind of, no. He, he had personal struggles going on that I never even knew about, yeah. which was incredible. He was able to like manage that relationship really, really well. So I, I knew him and I felt like I met his family and, you know, I mean, I had access, mm. but at the same time there were, there were appropriate boundaries and lines. Yeah. Um, but he he claims that actually it was a joy and 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 it wasn't annoying. So it, I think he's just he's just one of those people. We, he's a wonderful and man. And we would say that in hindsight with our young people too, wouldn't we? I think for all that we would struggle with some of them, there, there is and you rightly challenge his possessive language. Our young people, you're absolutely right. But there is a sense in which yeah, these young people can mess me around, but won't beside anybody. Yeah, else, that's right. You know, questioning them yeah. because because I will yeah you know, I'll go to the wall for them. There is there's a young person at the moment who um off the back of the summer event has come to everything and whenever I say oh there's something at the vicarage she will be there and I know it's because she loves hanging out with the family but she wants to grow she was so we've just lined her up with somebody in the church who's going to do that weekly bible study with her so I think you're right pay attention to young people who look like they're, they're longing for more so uh, in this season of the podcast, we are building up to the National Youth Ministry Weekend um, and our theme, which is stronger, uh, where we're looking at how we develop lifelong faith in young people. And one of our key speakers at the event is Philip Gennardo, who I had the um, privilege of speaking to a little while ago. Now, the reason why we've gone this way in to the podcast is because uh, our conversation is almost a seminar on uh, how to do this kind of one-to-one -one stuff really well. And this is gold. So this is like... Get your pen and paper. Not even going to the National Youth Ministry. You just get a free seminar yes. right now. Um, so it's a really great interview. And he talk, we talk about some other things as well. But some of the stuff that he says on... Um, on one-to-one -one discipleship and how we make that ex into exponential growth and how we get disciples to make disciples, it's gold. So um, yes, don't sit back and relax. 
sit to attention and have some sort of note-taking device um, and listen to this from Philip Gennardo. In this season of the Youthscape podcast, we're meeting some of the speakers at the National Youth Ministry Weekend. It's happening in Birmingham on the weekend of the 18th to the 20th of November. And we're going to be spilling the beans on the programme and introducing you to this year's brilliant theme, Stronger. If you've been to the National Youth Ministry Weekend before, you'll know just how brilliant it is for everyone working with young people in the church, whether you're a volunteer or working for a church organisation. But it's not just the free resources and the brilliant advice you get from talks and discussions that makes it so fantastic. It's the boost you get from spending a whole weekend with people who are just like you, who care about young people and want to see them grow in their faith. It literally sets you up for the year ahead. So this November, we're looking at how we can help young people that we serve develop the kind of faith that will last a lifetime. Plus, we've got a particular focus on how we can help them engage more deeply and meaningfully with the Bible, which is a real challenge for a lot of us. So we're going to dig down and get some inspiration and answers about how we can make that happen. So if you want to join a thousand others this November, you need to grab your tickets quickly. They are selling out fast. So to get your tickets, go to youthscape.co.uk forward slash NYMW, where you can get your tickets, you can read about the event, and you can get excited with us ahead of this November's event. That address again, it's youthscape.co.uk forward slash NYMW. We'll see you there. So, Philip, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast um you we're speaking you're in bristol aren't you where you've been for a long time just just tell us a little bit of your your story and the journey particularly with with woodies or or woodlands to give it its proper title that you've been involved in for quite a number of years sure well i i came to bristol uh this is where i met chris curtis which was obviously a life-changing experience for me Mm. Um, we uh we were both at bristol university together Uh, he was a couple years ahead of me but uh, when I came to Bristol, I quickly met with Chris and we both started going to this little church. It was a church built on a housing estate, had about 50 people. And uh, we were the student population. So we were the kind of the young people within the church. And um, so we just invited all our friends to come along because it wasn't a happening church. It wasn't one of the, the kind of its churches in the city. So we just invited our friends to come. And then over those next few years, that church grew and grew. Uh, And those 50 people uh, back when I was a student are now over 2,000 adults and probably about 500 children in around about six different church congregations across the city. So I've kind of been around pretty much the whole time. I I took seven years out to go and fetch a wife. But apart from that, I've, I've been here all the time. Wow. And, and so Chris Curtis, he is a, um, you know, he's not a, a man who loves the limelight at all. So, no. you know, people listening to it, this podcast will have heard his name, but in many ways, he's a shadowy figure. Yeah, he was, he was, he's always someone that has been somewhat of a shrinking violet, uh, hard to find, but somehow our paths were able to cross. And, and did you, so did you do ministry together? Was that how that worked? Actually, yeah, we did. We, we both had a vision to see uh, the university impacted. And uh, we were involved with the Christian Union. We were involved with kind of the evangelism and the outreach of the Christian Union. But then uh, we were also uh, 
basically we began running groups together. So we would see people come to faith and then we would do groups to disciple them and teach them. And I think honestly, a number of the lessons that I, uh, well, the lessons that I learned then have been really valuable for me in ministry ever since. And we saw some great things. We saw people's lives changed. We saw, um, yeah, very exciting kind of salvation rippling through the university. Wow. Chris uh, and I have often talked about this period and he talks about some of the things that you did back then, which you might might not necessarily see today. So, you know, tract based evangelism, street evangelism, you know, all of that stuff. Like, how do you reflect now on on knocking on doors and, and all of those things that you might have done, uh, you know, let's say a few years ago um, and and would have by the sound of things, some of those things had. Were, even though we laugh about them now, were effective. Yeah, I think, I mean, the thing with evangelism is you have to mould your, the means that you communicate the message with the, the, um, the world that you're trying to reach. And without a world, if you can imagine a world without the internet, um, a world where actually if you wanted to send someone a text, you literally had to write a text and, and make a text or, or a tract or a leaflet or whatever. Um, and I think we we were just always trying to be really, really creative. So we didn't necessarily do so much door to door, but we would do a lot of stuff where we would go into the bars. We would engage people in conversation. We'd do dumb things like we would spray paint our hair different colors. And then one of us would jump on a table and say, hey, everyone, listen up. Uh, there's 10 people in this bar. They've all got crazy hair. One of them's in a near... Uh, your table, ask them why they've got crazy hair and find <laughs> out what they say. And it was all kind of just silly, dumb stuff that you can do. I guess um, you, we just got away with all kinds of things as, as students. But it was it was a way of genuinely creating openings to talk about faith. Are you telling me Chris Curtis spray painted his hair a crazy colour? Uh, probably not Chris. No, uh, let's be that. that, that I'm, I'm glad you clarified that. Yeah, that, didn't, that story didn't add up. Yeah, he, he'd be back um, in a room praying for us. <laughs> but, you know, you said you said just then something interesting was much of the stuff that you learned then has sort of set you up long term for, for ministry and evangelism. And, and so I'm interested to know what what it what it was. What was the stuff that was going on even in that context where you were like, oh, I'm learning lessons here that are going to this is going to shape my ministry. Yeah, probably one of the big ones for me was just the power of a community. I came into university and I'd had a little bit of experience on um, ministry and ministry. And so my focus was very much God has these special people. They're really incredible. They've got all the gifts. They've got the kind of the calling of God upon mm. them. And just let us do our thing and it will, it will all happen. Um, and then on the converse to that, I would sometimes look at the church and, and see uh, it's not very dynamic. It's not really outward focused. Um, it's passive. It's ineffectual. Um, therefore, I'm going to just bypass it um, because I know that I've got a gift and a passion and a vision. And I think so much of what I learned um, at university and, and, and with Chris is Actually, a community of believers, if we can motivate one another and if we can support one another, that's just incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. If we can give people a little bit of a vision, 
And if we can give them a little bit of confidence in, in sharing uh, the good news, we can do great things. And honestly, the paint your hair a funny color, that is all that it was about. It was just saying, look, we all find this difficult. We all find this intimidating. Let's do something that breaks down the barriers and makes it a little bit easier for us, something that gives us a little bit of a prop. Um, and, and seeing actually the secret to winning a culture for Jesus is not some individual heroes, but it's, it's, a, it's a community of believers who capture something together and go for it together. And, and that, that you know, is unstoppable. There's a bit of an application there to youth ministry in that sometimes we often feel for all sorts of reasons like we are lone rangers, you know, mm. um, but, and, and sometimes that's not our fault as, as youth ministers. It, it may be that we are, we're feeling the pressure from uh, other places in the church that really we're the ones responsible for pastoring and, and discipling young people and, and somehow in two hours a week miraculously <laughs> winning a culture war against the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, but, but there is something there in what you've just said about um, m- maybe how the whole church has a role to play and the whole community has a role to play in um in raising young people and that's not a new idea um is that how it's is that how it's played out um in your experience with we're just sort of moving into talking about youth ministry now but you know you know you you minister with younger people uh at woodlands metro where you are now mm. um your experience is that kind of how it's worked the whole the village to raise the child model yeah i it's almost like um the child to reach another child and bring another bunch of children in together and before you know it, we've got a village. Mm. I think uh, my focus has always been on seeing um, young people or people of any age, to be honest, people that are outside of faith, people that are looking for meaning and, and searching for um, spirituality and answers, seeing them one for Jesus and then teaching them to go and reach uh, their friends and their peers. And what we what we try to do, particularly in, in Metro, we're really, really strong on mentoring and discipleship. So I will take time with um, some individuals, but I'm in no way expecting that I'm going to reach everybody. What I will do is I will pour my life into some key people and then teach them and expect them to pour themselves in the same way into the lives of others. And so we we're very strong on having people who are just brand new to faith, uh, knowing enough to be able to pass what little they've got onto someone else who is even just starting on a journey of faith, uh, rather than always looking for help outside from mature Christians who've been around the block for 20 years. Because often, I mean, it's a cliche, but the, the new Christian is often the greatest evangelist, right? Because they're burning with the the passion and the, the realization of what salvation means that some of Absolutely. us who've been in there longer can lose sight of. So I think that's really exciting. So is that, is that a model then, do you think, really for, for not just youth ministry, but all ministry, that, that it's about investing in a few with a, with a view to then releasing them to reach a few and sort of a, it's a pyramid scheme, essentially? <laughs> it's ex- exponential discipleship. That yeah. is, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a Jesus model. You know, as a church, we've just started last week looking at the Great Commission again. And Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go and make disciples um, of all peoples, baptizing them um, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, which 
in its very essence is to make disciples. And so our command, um, obeying the command of Jesus to make disciples, means that we have to teach others to obey that same command to make disciples of people. Um, and it is, you know, for my money, it's, it's not only a, the way in which we reach our culture um, and our country, but it's the way in which we grow together. Because if I'm just looking for information and give me good spiritual principles and let me be a, a good kind of individual disciple, I'm only going to get so far. But if I am responsible for helping someone else um, and taking someone else on, suddenly I have to grow. Uh, I can't rest. Um, and I think it's, it's the best way for people to be healthy and to grow in their own faith is to help someone else in theirs. You're going to be speaking, very excitingly, at the National Youth Ministry Weekend uh, in November. We're so excited to have you. Um, and the theme this year is, uh, we've called it Stronger, and it's very much a, about how do we help young people to deepen their faith and develop faith that outlives the youth group. That, mm. you know, how do we develop a, a faith that, um, and, it, and it's probably not us developing, and that's probably the clue, but how do we develop a faith that, that is for the long haul um, just as like, I'd love to ask a couple of things about that, but for you personally, you know, you've been a Christian for, for quite a few years. Cause I know how old uh, Chris is, um, you know, what, what, um, what have been some of the keys in your own faith formation that mean you've withstood, you know, the, the shocks and the challenges and, and the difficult times of life. What, why have you, you, that have meant that you've stayed the course, you know, what have been the, the principles, what have been the foundations of that for you? I think I am where I am because people have invested in me. So that's probably one of the reasons why I am so passionate about discipleship and mentoring, because there have been men and women who have, you know, in some cases poured hours and hours of their lives into mine. And in other cases, it's just been more of a passing uh, influence. But I am where I am and I am who I am because others have shared with me and, and they've inputted into me. You know, when I was when I was a teenager, um, there was one guy and he was this incredibly old, mature man of faith. Uh, I was 17 years old and um, he was just this fully grown man. Now, I didn't realize at the time that he was just a student. So he was literally <laughs> probably 20 years old. But to my brain, he just seemed like... You know, he he was very, very old. Yeah. Um, but he, he poured himself into my life. Uh, 16, 17 years old, uh, just took me under his wing. And I think what people have done for me is they've taught me and trained me how to have a self-sustaining, disciplined, devotional life. You know, how to have, how to, how to know Jesus for myself, um, to have that kind of secret life of prayer and devotion. Um, and, and those are the things that sustain us. It, it's having people teach us how to approach and have build a relationship with God. And those things, you know, they, they are the things that weather the storm. You know, we've had, we've had massive storms um, the last couple of years. I mean, particularly our experience as a church, um, a church for the 20s and 30s, the last two years plus have just been hellish, have been absolute challenge. And yet we were able to see people being resilient and being strong 
because they've had those disciplines um, built in and because we support one another, we stand with one another and, and we do church together um, as a village, like you said. Do you um, do you still see that? Do you manage that in your church, that culture of, of investing lots of time into individuals? Because I, I feel like that's something that to some extent is much weaker in the church than it was 20, 25 years ago. Mm. Um, the culture of kind of one-to-one mentoring. Biz- bizarrely, we're having this conversation. I've just come back from having uh, coffee with uh, the guy who brought me to faith and discipled wow. me as a 14-year-old. Um, had exactly the same experience, actually. He was 24 at the time. I assumed he was at least 40. Um, <laughs> but I've just met him and he's only 10 years older than me now. So I don't know yeah. how that, that works. Um, but we were chatting about kind of all these all this time we spent together doing exactly what you describe. And he must have easily put 200 hours into me, you know, in terms of just one-to-one time sitting across reading the Bible, you know, week after week, year after year. And, you know, does that culture still exist? Do we need to recapture it? Are you still doing it in some way at Woody's? Yeah, I mean, I yes to all of the above. Yes, we need to recapture it. Uh, but yes, it's it's the major part of what we do. Uh, I see this as my main focus um, in ministry and work. It's not just to do my own thing, but to just to invest in, into others. So it, it's the thing that I look to give most of my time to um, within our, our church. So Woodlands Metro is kind of basically the kind of the mini-me version of the big Woodlands Church, which is one of the biggest churches in the southwest. And... Uh, we planted Metro out seven years ago, um, essentially because the evening service, which was pitched at the kind of 18 to 35 age bracket, it just grew beyond the building. Um, and so we, we were forced to plant a church because we needed more space to put everybody. Um, and we have made that, um, that whole mission and vision of mentoring and discipling people. We, we've made it core to who we are. So, you know, out of a couple hundred of us, over 50% of people are meeting every month with on a one-on-one with a mentor and are encouraged to do that um, themselves. So I have a, you know, I have a kind of a whole group of people that I meet with. And one of the things that I always say to them uh, right from the very beginning is I say, I want grandchildren. Give me grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be a kind of a, a father figure to you. But I want you within the next six months to go find someone else mm. and do for them what I'm doing for you. Mm. And uh, I can have grandchildren. And then you say the same thing to them as I'm saying to you. And I can have great grandchildren. And it's amazing how we literally started that um, just a few years ago. And it does. It mushrooms out. And I think it puts us in a much stronger place in terms of our, our faith. I think people listening to this, because I'm thinking it, uh, will be thinking two things. Uh, one of which is, wow, this sounds amazing. Oh, my goodness, this feels like it could be really effective. And at the same time, oh, my goodness, how would we even start? What would we do? So, so how we get started? And if we actually were sitting across the table from someone, what would we do with them? You know, how would you answer that question? I think almost anything that you do is is incredible. Uh, I don't think it's so much what you do as the fact that you you do it and you prioritize it and you're intentional about it. For us, we put together a little um, package of, of teaching because we wanted to make it 
as scalable and accessible as we could. With mentoring in most churches, it's, it's this really high bar. Uh, you've got to be incredibly spiritually mature to do it. You've got to know what you're doing. And uh, you've got to be able to kind of self-start with that. And, and some people can do that, you know, leaders and ministers and mature Christians. But it's not so easy for someone who's new to faith or young in their faith to do. So we just put together some really simple um, sessions on how to read the Bible, how to pray. Uh, what about giving? What about health? What about morality? Let's talk about porn. Let's talk about, you know, how you are at work. Let's talk about your language. Um, let's talk about spiritual disciplines and rhythms of life. Um, and all all we do is, is just we'll take an hour or so uh, to go through. And so you just have a little bit of teaching, you set some goals, and then you review how you're doing. Really, really simple stuff. Now, that's our thing. I, I think, again, anything that you do is going to be really, really powerful. Um, and so I just, I have, I have about 12 people, and all I have to do is really easy. I just have to see four people. Is that right? It's not even that. It's like three people a week yeah. for, for an hour at a time. Um, and I do that every month. And then suddenly, if those 12 people are doing that themselves with one or two others, uh, it doesn't take long before you get this culture, which is really strong, where people are used to checking in with one another and praying with one another. And um, sometimes you do the sessions, sometimes it's more informal. I feel really excited listening to that because what you're what you're sort of describing there is utterly radical and revolutionary in one sense. It shouldn't be. But in another sense, it's quite accessible. You know, trying to see three people in a week, you know, for an hour like that is possible. And uh, trying to have simple, you know, that idea of just trying to evaluate what you're doing, what you're trying to achieve, you know, that 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 kind of simple metric, again, pretty, pretty accessible. So anyone who's listening to this and feels a little bit kind of, oh, something stirring here, I, I encourage you, like, I'm feeling excited about it. I'm going to I'm going to go back to my youth ministry <laughs> team at church now and go, let's have a conversation about this. So I think that's great. Just just before you go, um, uh, what do you think? You know, we're obviously thinking this theme about challenging young people to take faith deeper yeah. one of the one of the things we see with younger people is they're into everything they're into lots and lots of things they're um you know the lifestyle is very um uh diverse and faith and church is just one of the many many things that kind of um uh are, are important to them perhaps um how do you challenge young people to go deeper and and make faith the main thing you think Boy, that's, that's a big question. Part of me feels like we are in a situation um, and we're coming increasingly into a situation in our nation and in our culture where actually faith has to be really part of your life. Just the challenges, you know, mental health crisis, um, what we're seeing in Europe with, with war and um, the climate crisis, the economic crisis, uh, the uncertainty. Uh, it feels like this is a time more than ever for people to take faith seriously. And, and even those who've been more on the fence about faith, 
are now beginning to say, actually, I, I, need, I need something in my life because everything is so uncertain and the pressure is, is, is so much on. So I think there's a window of, of opportunity coming for us. Um, apart from that, I think it, the main thing is, is just what we model um, mm. and not trying, to, not trying to bring everyone up all at the same time. Um, I've always felt like, and it's it's maybe in poor taste to lose kind of to use viral language, but you want a contagious Christianity. You want something which you can pass on and and, and give to someone else, and then see them um, infect those around them with it. And, and again, it's just how discipleship works. If I've got a youth group and I'm trying to get all of them to deepen their faith all together. Uh, there's there's some things that we can do for that, but it's it's a quite a big challenge. But if I can find one, two, three people that have a bit of hunger, even if they're not even yet fully um, come to faith, you know, they're finding their way in. But if if we can ignite something within them and take them on a bit of a journey, uh, model for them something that they want to emulate in their own lives, they then will pass that on to others, um, and so you get this kind of organic, infectious um, culture change within your groups, which if we can get that happening, we will be absolutely boomed with gas, as they say. It's so exciting to hear you talk about this stuff. Um, I'm really glad you're going to be coming to National Youth Ministry Weekend. You're going to be doing a couple of things. You're going to be uh, speaking to the whole conference. You're also, I think, going to be doing some communication stuff. Is that right? Yes, I'm doing a little Chris seminar. has roped you in to do a seminar on, on, on preaching communication, which I think will be gold as well. So so thank you. Um, and we will we'll look forward to seeing you in November. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Can't wait to be there with you. sidekick.